I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of First John. We've been using this book as kind of a catalyst to, to kind of introduce the topic really of, of salvation and, and even broaden it out a little bit to examine our own hearts. What do we look for when uh, we're looking for evidence of genuine faith that the Lord has worked in our heart? First John chapter 1, we're going to look at chapter 1 instead of chapter 2, chapter 1. Uh, verses 8 through 10. First John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar And His Word is not in us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, bless our time in Your Word. I thank You so much for this precious Word. Lord, give us clarity. Give us understanding. May Your Spirit work in our lives even today, producing the fruit and, and the results that would glorify and honor You. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're beginning to look at salvation, and I'm hoping that you're beginning to see that salvation is um, a a miraculous thing that is not just a mere man-decided-upon or man-made decision or or some kind of decision that, that we make for Christ, but it is something that the Holy Spirit is working in us way before that decision is made. It is a supernatural work. It's a, it's a miracle. And I hope you begin to see the miracle of the new birth. That we are saved as a result of God's work in our life. Now, I want to broaden that out a little bit. Because to help us understand that, we need to understand what, what's going on behind the scenes. What, what the Holy Spirit is, is doing. And we, we look at His work. What He is called to do as the third member of the Trinity is what the designation that we've given him, but is not to be slighted at all, but he is doing some major work behind the scenes before we ever kind of any make any kind of decision for Christ. And we need to understand his role. Now, to do that, the, one of the clearest verses that we see on the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation is when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in Matthew chapter 3. In verse 8, we have the one little verse that, uh, I'm sorry, it's not Matthew, but John chapter 3 in verse 8. One little verse that uh, talks about us being born again, but we are born of the Spirit. That's chapter 3 in verse 8 says that the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. You, you can see some evidence of that. You hear it. You see the, you hear the, the sound of it and do not know where it comes from and you do not know where it is going. But again, there's, there's evidence. You, you, you hear, you, your senses pick up. Something's going on there. There's something going on. You, you see the evidence, but you don't, uh, you can't actually see it. And he says, so is the, as everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
All we can see is the evidence. All we can see that is the results. That something's happening. Something's going on. We can't control it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's the way Christ kind of introduces the gospel to Nicodemus. If you turn over to chapter 16, we see what that Holy Spirit is doing then in the life. The Holy Spirit is, is working. He is the one that's bringing about this new birth. Chapter 16 and verse 8 says this. Let me pick up in verse 7, just the middle of verse 7. The helper will not come. And Jesus says, let me pick up, up the beginning of the verse. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this is the, the Spirit, the helper. And he, when he comes, will do three things. Convict the world of sin, convict the world of righteousness, and convict the world of judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the role, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. He's cultivating that heart. He's helping them to see and to recognize their own sinfulness. He's he's helping them to recognize the righteousness of God. That we fall far short of that righteousness. He's then uh, helping them to understand that there's a judgment to come. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And He's cultivating that heart and awakening that uh, life to to be aware of of sin. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 13, we see the uh, again the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives this parable, Matthew 13, of the farmer going out and he's throwing out the seed. Some of that seed falls on stony ground uh, where there's just a lot of rocks and cannot thrive. Uh, some of it uh, is on uh, the pavement, hard pavement roll, road where the road has been, uh, the, the mud has been packed down. Some of it is on in the, in the uh, wayside where the, the weeds are and it kind of just cannot thrive in that environment either. But some of it, is in good soil. Now that's the point. The good soil is where the Holy Spirit has worked and tilled that ground where people can see um, their own sinfulness so that when the gospel is thrown out there, that the Holy Spirit has already worked in that life and there's germination. That seed begins to germinate. And again, the Holy Spirit produces then that new, that new life. And what does it produce? Well, we see in Matthew chapter 5, the beginnings of that is what Christ is, one of the main sermons of Christ was, and this was basically what he was preaching. This is kind of a a summary of that, what Matthew gives us in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are aware of their sinfulness to the point that they're broken Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, mourning over their sinfulness. Blessed are the gentle, broken again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, evidence of the Holy Spirit working in a life. Um, I'll show you one more picture of this. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And Paul is dealing with the Corinthians. They have mis- they're abusing the spiritual gifts and and uh, so he is, he is trying, to, trying to correct these things. And the, he, let's pick it up in verse, chapter 14, verse 24. He says, if all prophesy, 
Uh, prophesy is not uh, telling the, the, the future or anything like that. It's just proclaiming the word of God. He says, so, so if we stand, and he's talking about in the church context, if we stand up and, and prophesy, proclaiming the word of God, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, okay? So, so we're in the church service, unbelieving comes in. Here, what, what is he going to experience? He is convicted by all. All the things that said, all of the truth that's been laid out there, all of the word of the Holy Spirit that's been proclaimed is convicted. Again, the work of the Holy Spirit. And he, he, he is called into account by all. So there's a, there's a reality, a spiritual reality that he's called into account for. In the verse 25, the secret, secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will Fall on his face and worship God. Declaring, here's what he declares, that God is certainly among them. The Holy Spirit is obviously working there. And why? Because there's conviction of sin. Conviction of, of uh, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and he falls on his face. That's the work of the Holy Spirit working in a person's life. At salvation. And it's a supernatural work. You say, well, that's just, you know, that's not, that's just the work of man. No, no. Only God can do that kind of work in a heart. Now, we have a, a Christianity today that's, uh, that's just turned Christianity into another religion. Basically, that's it. It's just a, a belief system. And what they've done is they, they have just turned it into just a belief system. Well, just believe these things. And, and you're good. You'll, you'll get to heaven. And we would agree with, with some of that. But the problem is, is they never deal with sin. They, they don't really deal with the heart issue. And, and repentance is essential. Being born again is essential because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we know the Holy Spirit is, is working? Because there's conviction over sin. Salvation cannot be salvation unless there's Sin has been confronted in our life, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's repentance there. Say, so, well, the gospel is just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah, the only reason that that is so significant is because we are so sinful. We in desperate, we are in desperate need of a Savior, and this is what He's done for us. We need a Savior because of our great sinfulness. And we recognize that sin, and we repent of that sin because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, let's go back to our first John passage in this passage. He's he's telling us, telling these Christians of how to deal with sin. And what he's doing here is he is um, comparing uh, the believer from the unbeliever. And the, the difference between the two is that the believer admits his sinfulness, showing evidence of the work is in the, of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. The, the believer then recognizes that sinfulness and admits that sinfulness, but also continues, verse 9, if you, can, if you confess your sin. And that's an ongoing thing. If you are those who, who are continuously confessing your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us your sin. It's a lifestyle of confessing to the Lord that we are sinful. But if we say we have no sin, we're just lying. We're deceiving ourselves. We're lying. Because obviously then the Holy Spirit has not worked in our life. Now last night we go out on our porch, flip the light switch on, 
and expecting the light to come on on the porch, right? And there was no response. And we go back. Did we flip it on? Yeah, we, we flipped it up. The, the light switches up in the up position, and the, and the, but the light's not on. There's a disconnect there. And I believe that we have some kind of Christianity light today that, uh, that you know, we, we, we've flipped the switch, but there's no connection made. There's no real work of the Holy Spirit there in the light. And I believe the church today, folks, the church today needs to examine themselves. We, we need to test ourselves. We need to look at our own heart and ask, is, the, is there real, genuine, saving faith there? And saving faith, obviously, is not a one-time thing, but an, uh, a, a constant element of the Christian life. And we've been looking at, then, evidences of the, of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And there's 11 of them. And we've, uh, we'll just move through them very quickly here. That, but just points of evaluation of our life. With the Scripture in one hand and a mirror in, a, in our other hand, we're examining our own life. First of all, we look for the love of God in our life. Do we love God? That's, what, that's what's going to happen. He loved God. Us first, we love because He first loved us. We no longer rebelling against God, but we have a loving relationship with Him. We don't serve Him out of a sense of duty, we serve Him out of love. We love Him, we love His Word, we love His work, we love His people. Number two, we look for evidence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And folks, there's there's way too much to, to go into that at this point. But we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. He illumines our mind. He, he helps us to understand things. But He's also producing fruit in our life. Character, godly character that is consistent with God's character. Number three, we look for answered prayer. Look for answered prayer. It's a natural thing for the believer to pray before God. Pray to God. And the yes answers are what we want to hear. But even when we hear a no answer from God, when God works in the circumstances and it's a no answer, we move forward with confidence knowing that He heard us. And that's the answer to our prayer. The Lord answers prayer. Number four, we look for a love for Christ and a longing for His return. It's a whole new perspective for the believer. It's a perspective of eternity. And the early church used the one term, Maranatha. And it's, come, Lord, come quickly, come now. There's an urgency to that. So there's a a love of Christ and a longing for Him to return. And then number five, we looked at last week, is is spiritual discernment. That there's an anointing, the Holy Spirit anoints us and He gives us clarity so that the truth that that we're being told, that we, we can't examine it under a microscope, we can't test it in any way, but we still, because of His work in us, it, it affirms in our own heart, even though it's not tangible, He affirms that in our heart, and we can still have confidence and conviction, to the point that these men that were read to us earlier, about uh, earlier, they will, they will stand there and be persecuted for the sake of Christ. Why? Because the work of the Holy Spirit worked in their life, producing a, a, a confidence of knowledge that these spiritual things that they cannot see are true and real. Now, those are, those are the first part. And those things produce a dramatic change in the heart. But it doesn't stop there. And it doesn't stop there because God doesn't want it to stop. 
God wants His work on display. If He's going to work in your life, He's not going to just stop at the heart level. No, it's going to be produced. He's going to uh, light a candle and He's going to put it on a lampstand. He's going to put that city on a hill so other people can see His work on display in that life. That's the way He works. That's what He, that's what he does. So it's visible, a visible display of God's work. And so the second section here is the, the spiritual life and growth of the believer. This is evidence of, of uh, God working in our life with spiritual life and growth in the believer. Um, number six, then, in our list is that we must... We must look for, something that we're to look for is genuine desire for the holiness of God. Genuine desire for the holiness of God. If the Lord has worked in our life, here's what it's going to produce. Now look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, 5, 6 and 7. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message, okay? The gospel message. This is what we've heard. This is the message we have heard from Him. That's Christ. This is John the Apostle talking here. We've heard this from Christ. And we announce to you. You know, you expect Him to say something about Christ. You expect Him to say, just lay out the gospel for us. But He, he, he says this. We've heard it from Him, Christ. Three and a half years He was with us, discipled us. And here's, here's what he, the summation of what He says. That God is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. What, what kind of statement is that? Well, he's using dark, uh, light there as, a, as an illustration or a symbol, if you will, of God's holiness. And in that, is, there's two elements to that. It's purity, moral uh, righteousness, moral, uh, moral purity, holiness, and truth. So you have both elements there. And it's essentially... Talking about God's holiness. You could wrap that up into God's holy. That God is holy to the nth degree. There is no darkness in Him at all. He is pure. He is righteous. His standards are so high that no one could attain to them. He is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. That means then if He's light... Anything else is, is darkness. Any, it, that sin is darkness. And so then we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance. Now, let's uh, follow this up a little bit. James chapter 1, a, verse, a couple verses. Every good gift and everything given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Lights. He's the God of light, purity, righteousness, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. No, not even a shadow. Not even a hint of a shadow in Him. First Timothy chapter 6 and uh, verse 16. Just playing off this word light. Chapter 6, First uh, Timothy chapter 6 verse six, 16. I'll start in verse 15. Which He will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. So bright that no one can even look at it. Unapproachable light. Whom no man can see or 
uh, has seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. God is the supreme being of the universe. Everything emanates from Him. He is the light of everything. Moral purity and all truth, it all comes from Him. It all comes from Him. In fact, what we see in uh, Exodus chapter 15, this is uh, something that Moses said a long time ago about the character of God. I love this little verse. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? So much light, there is no darkness at all. Majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working wonders. Down in verse 13, in your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. You you are welcoming us in. That's amazing thoughts, folks. This God who is unapproachable, we can't even understand Him. He is so far out of our league. We are in darkness and He is in all light. And He is pulling us. Those whom He redeems, He pulls us into Himself. Now, He applies this. Look at verse 6. Go back to 1 John chapter 1. He says this. If we say, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, what? You're lying. You're fooling yourself. Now, folks, I think we have a whole church in America here that's fooling themselves. It says you do not practice the truth. You're just fooling yourself. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with Him. Now, there's their key. We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship. with. There's a loving relationship there. There's a, a union there. A koinonia is the term. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's a wonderful thought. We have a, we have a, a new fellowship. We're brought into a loving koinonia with all of God's saints and with God Himself. This God who is unapproachable. And we in our sinfulness. When you... Uh, when you uh, join a new job or when you uh, are employed into a, a new place, um, you, you have to adapt. There's some adaptations. I worked under the, under my, in the mines for a, a year and uh, worked with this engineering firm, and, and I had to do some adapting. I didn't go in expecting them to adapt to me. I had to adapt. I worked at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A has its own culture, and you can see that. They're a cut above the, the fast food chains. And they, they're proud of that. They want that, right? They, they established this culture. I didn't go in and, and try to change that culture. I adapted to that culture. If you go into the military, same thing. We adopt that culture. When we join Christ, He doesn't adapt to us. We adopt to Him. We, we want to please Him. We want to know what He likes. We walk in His light. We walk as He is, uh, we walk in light as He is in the light. It's the same, same light. We adapt to Him. You say, what are you, what are you getting at? I think we have a Christianity today, folks. It's, it's just in danger. They don't, they don't get it. They're creating their own Christianity. And they have this moral high ground 
they're kind of buying in, they're kind of borrowing it from the world. I would just say there's no no real fear of God among them. There's no real fear. That That's just gone out the window because they're making up their own morals, their own holiness, their own standard of righteousness. So God allows their loved one to suffer or or see the, the death. They would say, oh, how can he be a good God and allow this suffering? How can he be a good God and allow people to die? How can he be a good God and allow slavery? And so they take this moral high ground. How can he be a good God and, and not not include and not be so loving to the homosexual community? How can he be a good God and not not love uh, and not welcome in the uh, abortion, this idea of abortion? He's too rigid. He's too dogmatic. He's too uh, uh, demanding. He's a tyrant. He's a tyrant. He's just authoritative. And that's what we have today. So we, we have a softening, a softening of God's morals. And that's not biblical Christianity at all. But let me show you what Peter says of this. If you turn over just a couple pages to the left at first, from first down, second Peter chapter three. Here's what's going on. I read this and, and I thought, this is exactly America today. Second Peter chapter three. In verse uh, 16, well, let me start at verse, um, um, yeah, let's just start at verse fif- uh, 16, middle of verse 15. Paul, so he's talking about Paul, he's bringing Paul into this his conversation here. He says, just as also our b- beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, so Paul, he was recognizing this wisdom was given to him by the Holy Spirit, and he wrote it to you. So this is this is part of scripture now, as also in all his letters, speaking to them as these things in which some are hard to understand. Paul, he's saying, was addressing the same issue. He says, now, Paul's sometimes hard to understand. Paul's lofty. He's weighty. He's he's difficult because he's he's teaching us some good, sound, deep theology here. And it's a little difficult to understand. You would expect that in scripture, right? Okay, are some things hard to understand, which, now listen, the untaught and the unstable, what do they do? They distort it. They twist it, as they do with the rest of Scripture. He's comparing Paul's writings with the rest of Scripture, verifying that Paul's writings are Scripture. And and what do they do? They, They twist Scripture, it says, to their own destruction. Folks, I think that's what we have today. I think any little difficult verse, oh, that's hard. So they twist Scripture. Oh, it's hard to understand. So they twist it a little bit. Twist it a little bit. Look at verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, know this beforehand. Be on guard. This is the church that that has to be aware that this is going on out there. Be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. Okay, that's a classification of a person. Unprincipled men. And fall away from your, your own steadfast. You're steadfast, you're moving along, you're doing well, and all of a sudden you, you get pulled in. Somebody says, oh, that's a hard scripture. Let me tell you what it means. Well, who does that come from? Unprincipled men. Men who are still living in the flesh, not living by the principles of the Word of God. They're living in the flesh. And he goes up, if we go up to verse 16, he says, untaught and unstable. 
That's who is going to be twisting Scripture. They don't want to learn the Greek and the Hebrew. They don't want to take the time to do all of that. Now, that's too hard. No, they're, they're untaught. They're unstable. They're unprincipled men. He says, you better be on guard of them. Now, the church of Jesus Christ today needs to be aware that this is where the American church is. Anything difficult in Scripture is going to be twisted. Anything that they don't like is going to be twisted. Here's what he says there in verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be uh, stable, we... We go from untaught to taught. We go from unstable to stable. We go from living in the flesh to living with principles by the Word of God. And we fall away, he says. And he says, uh, to Him be the glory, both now and forever. Man, I believe that's the danger that we have today. This turning Christianity into a religion. Oh, I believe this. I believe that. I believe another thing. And and you just kind of accept anything. And you don't deal with sin. There's no connection there. No Holy Spirit lighting that life. uh, Penetrating that heart. Exposing sin. Realizing sin in your own life. Repenting over that sin. And they're playing church. Playing church. And the church needs to examine itself. That's what we've been doing. Examining ourselves. Now, let's go back to our thought here. Because the, the, the true believer, when we examine our life, we're drawn to God's holiness. We see that light and we're drawn to that light. We love that light. We, we move toward to God's holiness. We move toward God's holy standards, God's truth. We're drawn into that. We have fellowship with Him. That koinonia there. Christ called it a hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we, we don't conform to the culture of our day. We don't stand in judgment over God. Because God is the standard. He is holiness. And He alone lives and dwells in that holy life. And we move toward Him. He is the supreme being of the universe. We don't define Him. No, He defines us. And He draws us in as believers. And that's a distinction, folks. The world is... They they don't want that kind of God. They don't want a God with truth and God with standards and God with holiness. But we do. We have a love now for God. Number seven. Let's move quickly. We can get these next one here. So we, we look... Do we, do we long for God's holiness? Do we want that? Number seven is we must look for a pattern of decreasing sin. A pattern of decreasing sin in our life. So go back to our First John passage. Chapter 3 and verse 4. First John chapter 3 verse 4. Anyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Now, the word practice there is important. That's an ongoing pattern of our life. We, we just live in that sin. They're just, they're just, it's just a pattern of their life. You know that He, he um, appeared in order to take away sin. And in Him, there is no sin. No one is able to... Uh, no one who abides in Him sins. You, you don't stay in Christ and continue in your sin. It just can't be. No one... Uh, who sins 
has seen him or knows him. That's a crystal clear distinction. My little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is right, righteous, just as he is righteous. The same kind of righteous, same kind of holiness. The one who practices sin is of the devil. The devil is uh, sin has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices. Now think about this. Ongoing, continuously say, stays in their sinful flesh. We do not practice sin. We do not continue in sin. It, it makes us feel uncomfortable. Because his seed abides in him. We have this new nature. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not from God. Boy, that is so clear. How do you mess that up? It's an ongoing practice of righteousness that gives evidence to the believer's life. How they deal with sin. How they deal with sin. It's pretty clear. Clear distinction there. Walking in the flesh, sinful. Walking in the spirit, righteousness of, of God. You're from God. I'll show you one other passage. The passage that was read for us earlier. In Romans chapter 6. Maybe I can summarize it. But Paul says this. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. We'll just look at it briefly here. For sin shall not master be master over you. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We're not under the law. We're under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we have no, we're not under law and under, and under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you uh, present yourself to someone who is slave to for obedience, you, pre, you are a slave to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, so you're obedient and slaving, uh, slavishly uh, uh, controlled by sin, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God, that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And have become free from sin, you become slaves to righteousness. And that is so clear, so clear in Scripture. So what do we see? What he's saying here, what we see here, is the Christian is free once you taste freedom, you don't want to go back to slavery, do you? No, no. Once you've been in the light, you don't like being in the darkness. I got up this morning. I try not to turn on the light so that I don't wake up my wife. And I try to have everything set out, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes there's things in the in the uh, in the pathway that I stumble over. Sometimes I, I, I hit my toe. It's, it's not comfortable to stay in the darkness. It makes you uncomfortable. It's just not, it's not fun. And that's the same for Christianity, folks. Once you've seen the light, once you've seen the way life is supposed to work, once you've seen this is, this is right, this is wholesome, this is good, you want, you want that. Anything else makes you uncomfortable and you want to come out of that. Have you ever been in a place where you felt uncomfortable? You, maybe you were uh, not dressed appropriately and you just feel uncomfortable. I would 
get off work when I was uh, working in coal mines, go to the uh, store, and I had dirt all, all over my, or, you know, coal dust on my on my face, and and everybody looks at you, it makes you feel uncomfortable. You think, ah, oh, man, I gotta hurry up and get home and wash this stuff off of my face. Or or even even more serious. Let's put it down on this level because this is the level it needs to be. You go, ladies, you go to uh, the doctor for a mammogram and you see a spot, a dark spot. And they say, uh-oh, there's something there that, that should not be there. There's a spot there. And we just don't go away and just ignore that. No, we, we take care of that. We get rid of that. It doesn't belong. Folks, that's what we do with sin. We, we, have, to, we have to get rid of that. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And, and that's the the clarification of the Christian. We don't feel comfortable in our sin anymore. We just don't. It makes us feel uncomfortable. We want to get out of that sinfulness. Let me show you one more verse, and we'll, we'll draw it to a conclusion here. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Um, and verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, dealing again with the Corinthians, he says this, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's the believer's life. We, we fear, there's a fear, a reverence for God that we say, I know His holiness and I see my sinfulness and I'm out of place. I don't like it. I feel uncomfortable and so we get out of that. Let me show you. I've just, I've got to get one more. So go back to the first John passage. Because these two go hand in hand. You feel uncomfortable about your sin, but number eight, what you do is we, we look for patterns of increased obedience. The two have to work together. An uncomfortableness of sin. We don't stay in it. We want to come out. But also an increase in obedience. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I write these things to you. John being the elder John. He is the senior saint of the church at large. And he's writing this letter. I write these things to you so that you will not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, a lawyer that will go before the Father and say, hey, he's, he's with me, with the Father. The righteous, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Man, isn't that great? The qualifications that Jesus had, completely righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, Christ is the propitiation for our sin. He says... And for the whole world. Anyone else that wants to join us. It's global. Anyone else that wants to be a part of that. The whole world can be and join that. And he goes on to say, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. There's the characteristic of the believer. The one who says, I've come to know Him. I raise my hand. I did that and does not keep his commandments as a liar and the truth is not in him. That's what John says, says right here. Can't make that up. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. Remember that that picture, the love 
of God being poured out in the believer's life. He has a new capacity now. By this we know that we are in Him. You want to know if you're a true believer? Do you keep His commandments? The one who says, I abide in Him, ought to walk as He, in the same manner as He walked. Just like Christ. If you're going to profess to be a follower of Christ, you better walk like Christ walked. Walked. Now, I have to ask the question, why, why do you love what you love? Has God put a, a new love in your life? A baby tasting ice cream for the first time. Man, you don't have to feed that again, do you? Hey, man, they crave that stuff. We, we love what we love because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel... Uh, it's a, a good experience. We go to a restaurant there. We want to go back because it was a good experience for us. We want to go back. We taste the freedom of righteousness. We taste the freedom from sinfulness. It's both the carrot and the stick. It's, it's a, a love for God and His holiness, but it's also a hatred for sin and, that, and the, the danger that we are in. And so we, that drives us, folks. That drives us. It's both. It's both. It's easy to play church. And I'm afraid the American church is just playing church. Playing religion. Just kind of making up this Christianity as they go along. Standards they don't like. Standards they do like. Just kind of pull it together. Folks, we serve the God of lights. We adjust to Him. He doesn't adjust to us. We come and we have fellowship with Him. He doesn't adjust His standards for us. And we like what He likes. We hate what He hates. We, we adapt our lives to Him. We walk in the same manner as He walked. That's the, that's the Christian life. And when you evaluate yourself, Scripture in one hand, and the mirror in the other hand, when you're looking at that mirror, you look at yourself, you say, do I see that in my life? A love for God's holiness. A hatred for sin. Hatred for sin. An increase of, of uh, obedience to God. Do I see those things in my life? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. Lord, your word is, is so clear. And yet so many people can, can mess it up. Lord, may we just live by the truth. And, and Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit producing within us just a, a, a recognition of our own sinfulness, a recognition of the truth, and then just a desire there. Lord, we take that desire for granted, but, but the world doesn't have that desire. But Lord, we do. And Lord, how precious that is to us. We thank you. We thank you for your work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Don't see him. N not a, a whole lot of, uh, of, of uh, glory given to the Holy Spirit, but yet we see his work. And Lord, we just praise you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.